All right, this is my, this is my last rotation through Hebrews, which is it's kind of a strange feeling because we've, we've invested a lot in here, and this, is, this has been a while, right? We, we started doing Hebrews after, <clears throat> after Easter, and we've spent a significant portion of our time as a church in Hebrews, so I hope... I hope that I'm able to serve you well as I, as I finish out my last five weeks in, in Hebrews, and I hope that we're able to learn a lot together and to see what's really here and, and to make a big deal out of it and to grow as a church because of it. Um, I thought that the song choice was uh, great again today, so thanks for that. Uh, it's almost as though maybe he, he read and saw you know, what the verses had to say. Not really, though, because... I think that I might be going in a different direction than I had originally planned, um, but it just kind of fit, it fit perfectly with, with where we're going. Uh, we sang a couple of songs. We sang My One Comfort, talking about how Christ is, is the one thing that we really have to hold on to. So we just, we just sang that. And, and I hope that we get a, a deeper sense of, of what that really means when we get done or when I get done today. We also said that there's, there's nothing sweeter than, than the love of God. There's nothing sweeter than the gospel. And I hope, again, that we didn't just sing that because there were words on the screen telling us to, but that we, we really were able to proclaim that and, and, and say that from our hearts. Because, because those things are true but they're not always going to be easy to say. They're not always going to be easy to say. We're in Hebrews 12, and we had originally mapped this out to do the first couple of verses, and then I was thinking, well, maybe I could just knock out the first half of chapter 12. We're trying to figure out like, when to stop. What's, what's a good stopping point? And, and I kept trying to wrestle through to verse 17. Like, it's like, I can do this. We can be, make this work. But I just felt like I was being held back, like there was nothing, there was nothing coming. And I, something happened to me this week that kind of just took over my brain. And, and I felt like it was worth talking about it. And, and I didn't think that I could properly really focus on that and, and plow through the rest of these verses without just kind of leaving them behind. So we're going to take more time through chapter 12. We are just going to do the first couple of verses. Um, So let's read 1 and 2. Chapter 12 in Hebrews, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely... And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think that I'm not going to get any further today. Um, I think that it's going to be worth talking about this. And this is really linked to the last chapter. Um... I think that the first question you have to ask when you look at these couple of verses is, uh, who, who is this cloud of witnesses? And I initially had really no plan to discuss this point. 
Um, but then I remembered and was reminded that some people take this to mean something that I don't think is really spelled out here in Hebrews. Um, I've heard some people say that the cloud of witnesses is like the fellowship of the church around us, uh, like present day, like us, we are the cloud of witnesses. Uh, I, others have said that the cloud of witnesses is a world which looks upon the church and we've got people looking at us, so we need to, we need to show them the gospel. And, and yeah, there, there are elements of truth in those things, like we do have fellowship here in the church and we're supposed to encourage one another. Hebrews has talked about that already. Um, and yeah, the world is looking at us and, and they're, they are looking to see if, if what we preach is true and, and we ought to, to faithfully proclaim the, the gospel, the things that, that, we, that we claim to hold on to. Those things are in a sense true, but I think that here, that's, that's really not quite what's what's spelled out here. Um, I don't know all of the different views that may be out there, but I'm fairly certain of what the correct one is. That seems really arrogant, but, uh, but it just, I don't know. It seems pretty straightforward here. Um, I think that sometimes people will like jump around in the Bible. They're not reading through the Bible. They jump around in the Bible and they'll, they'll get to a verse or a chapter and they'll say, and they'll just read it and take it for what it is like outside of its context and try to figure out, oh, what does this mean? And maybe the fact that they've broken up the Bible into chapters and verses kind of leads us to do that because we, we start like compartmentalizing the Bible and we start saying, oh, well, what, this little piece stands apart from everything else. So I think that some people maybe just look at this. Maybe somebody said, hey, teach a lesson on this. And they're like, oh. Uh, I don't know. Let me come up with a reason. It's almost like when, uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's never happened to me, but I thought of it. <laughs> um, like if you're in a, in a class, maybe you fell asleep. And you've seen this happen probably. A lot of us are students. You fell asleep and you wake up and, and the, and the instructor is looking at you. And they're like, so cloud of witnesses? <laughs> and they're like, uh, let me come up with a reason. I feel like that's what's going on in some other places because it seems like, where are you getting some of these other ideas? Uh, it's important to read context into what's going on here because it seems really straightforward. Really, really straightforward. The cloud of witnesses are the saints throughout history who have lived faithfully before God and have endured. Notice the therefore at the beginning of verse 1 in this chapter, that word therefore is a callback to the previous passage. And if you've been here in the last several weeks or if you have read through Hebrews, then you know that chapter 11 describes men and women throughout history whom God has commended for their faithfulness to his word. The faithful in, in Hebrews 11, if we were going to be really specific, it, we would say that it's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses, the Israelites in the Exodus and in the conquering of Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Samuel, and David. Like that's, those are all the people that are mentioned as being faithful in Hebrews 11. Um, but the, the concept is that you have the example of these people who have gone before you and have been commended for their faith. So yeah, that pool is huge now 
As time moves forward, God works in the lives of men and women to do amazing things, to produce faith in them. And the cloud of witnesses is, is essentially all these people stretching throughout history who are pointing towards something. That, that's the cloud of witnesses. So they're all witnesses to us to declare what true faith in Christ looks like. Their faith was commended by God, and they were said to have inherited the promises of God. So we're told to imitate their faith and to be encouraged by their example. This, was, this is not the first time that this was mentioned either in Hebrews, uh, though not so explicitly. Um, back in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. 6 was a fun chapter, right? <clears throat> Verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the the more I study Hebrews, the the more I have an appreciation of just how thoughtfully it's constructed because, man, he he teases out ideas way before he actually gets to them and then he just kind of unravels them and, and, and speaks in detail about them. And it's pretty cool to see how you've got little hints of these things along the way. We... We're pointed toward those people, toward this big list of people, and he spent a whole chapter describing it so that he could say, be imitators of those people. So that's, that's the point here. Um, <clears throat> so let's just, let's just read again verse 1 so we can keep this in our minds. So he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So... He's building a case based on their faith. This is interesting. He says, since we have the weight of evidence from their real historical lives, and since we know that they were commended by God for their faith, we ought to be encouraged to imitate their faith, having seen that it is a worthy pursuit. So what does, that, what does that mean exactly? And we, we, we got to talk about this the last several weeks. What does it mean to imitate their kind of faith? Well, one kind of common thread for, for many of them was that the, the faithful have always looked towards heavenly things, not earthly things. That is, that is the common thread for every one of them. Some of them witness God do powerful acts through nature Angels themselves, others endured horrible, lifelong suffering, even to the point of death. But all of them saw both both the suffering and the earthly blessings as being only temporary. So both the bad things, that, what we would say call bad things, and the good things, both of those things were temporary. And so their eyes remained fixed on God rather than the pleasures or the hardships of this world. Their, their faith is what is commended to us. Their, their hope should be our hope. And, and their endurance through every circumstance, both pleasure and pain, should encourage us to endure. And our perspective like theirs should be that this is not our home. 
So with that perspective, we, like it talks about with Abraham, we live in tents, right? And it's interesting. I thought about that for a second. I was thinking, you know, there are other comparisons talking about your body being a, a tent or a temple and all these different things. But tent is mentioned a couple times kind of to refer to this, this kind of present circumstance. So if we have their perspective, then we see this as, as temporary. So yeah, we talk about putting down roots in the city and we want to be a, a presence here. But at the same time, we have this kind of overarching perspective that says, we're not going to be here forever. So we anticipate instead a, a permanent future home. So that, that kind of falls in line with a lot of things that we've been talking about already through, through Hebrews 11. So I've really, there's, there's something in particular that, that I want to focus on. Um, just because I want us to really feel the weight of it. Um, <clears throat> why, why do we need to be exhorted? Like, why, why are we being told this? Why, why does he keep saying over and over? Like, that's, this is his... His mantra, his anthem throughout Hebrews is just pay attention to Christ, hold on to Christ, look to Christ. He keeps saying this over and over and over. Why, why do we need that? <clears throat> Remember that the reason that he's giving his audience encouragement is because the people to whom he is writing, the church, they're beginning to experience public persecution. Their faith is being put to the test because identifying with Jesus is now starting to mean that they are singling themselves out as a target for the rest of the world which hates Jesus. And to identify themselves as a Christian is to put themselves at risk. It's like being a soldier behind enemy lines wearing your country's uniform. The opposing army is going to notice, and they're not going to like it, most likely. They're going to feel threatened by that. They are going to see that, and immediately, no, there, there is war here. So, the, the people in the church are worried, and they are questioning the worth of identifying with Jesus. They're having this internal struggle wondering whose promises are worth more, God's or the world's, because it's coming to them. It's coming to, they have no choice but to make that decision. And, and as we read this, this is an area where we need to examine ourselves. <clears throat> we need to ask ourselves whose promises we are going to believe because we are forced to choose between one or the other. And our choices ultimately reveal who we are. Okay, so I had a mildly traumatizing experience earlier this week, um, which I think relates to these ideas pretty closely. And this is kind of what took over my brain in the middle of the week. At this point, you probably all know already about the Islamic militants in the Middle East who have recently been terrorizing a massive number of people within that region, including specifically those who claim to be Christians. 
Uh, and you probably already know uh, that one of this group's favorite, if you've been keeping up with the news, one of this group's favorite things to do is to make threatening videos and disseminate those online. So I was reading a Christian blog post. Um, I was actually led there by John Piper, who said uh, in a tweet, if, if anybody ever tells you to renounce your faith in order to save your life, remember this. And, and I followed the link, and they had a description of it, but they also had the video. And I thought, I might need to see this, is kind of what I thought. I might need to see this. <clears throat> so this was recent. In this video, several armed Islamic militants are gathered around a man who apparently had claimed to be a Christian. And they had coerced this man by threatening his life to deny Christ and to proclaim publicly that their religion was true. So he's on his knees in this big gathering and a man comes up and stands next to him and, and has him repeat after him. This is a Syrian man. They're both speaking in, in Arabic. Um, and he says, repeat after me. There is no God but Allah, and I testify that Muhammad is his messenger. So he repeats after him in this big crowd of people. And after the man had repeated those words, he's on his knees and he repeats those words, the one who led him in the proclamation turned to everybody else and, and said, nobody shoot him. Nobody shoot him, do you understand? He will not be killed by shooting because that would be merciful for him. He will be beheaded because he is kafir, which means that he had forsaken the, the Quran. Um, he sided with the government and he was not praying to Allah. Everyone like him will have the same end, beheading. So after this man had been told that his life could be spared, if he denied Christ and proclaimed their faith, they grabbed a machete and they cut his head off. And the video showed the whole thing. Um, what they did made the guillotine look humane. It made the guillotine look like, if I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose that one. Definitely. Easily. So, after seeing that whole thing play out, I was... I was shocked, I was disgusted, I, I felt sick for a little while because, like, I don't know, you see, you see violence in, in, in fiction, and I think that we see this a lot. Our, our culture is pretty steeped in violence, um, but I don't know, I've grown up with the constant realization that movies and games and all those things, those are fake, those are just pretend, it's not real, so... So there's like a disconnection there. It's like those things aren't really happening. But this is really happening. <clears throat> and to see it in, in all of its gore and in all of its evil was just like, it, it hurt. And, and it took me a while to really compose my thoughts 
Because everything about that, that event, is horrible. Horrible. But the, do you know what the most horrible thing is about that event, that particular event? The man who denied Christ put his faith and his hope in a lie. And so in seeking to save his life, he lost it. They killed him anyway. And worse, much, much worse. Only a moment after dying, he had to stand before Christ and be denied himself in front of God. Because Christ says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, that everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That man died. And then he died again. Because he believed in a lie. Because he valued the lies of Satan more than he valued the promises of Christ. And I put it in these kinds of terms. Like I put Satan as a liar. Because of John 8, 44, where, where Jesus says, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees who are really clinging on to their tradition, their, their idea of what salvation looks like. And Jesus points at them and he says, you are sons of, of your father Satan, not Abraham. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And that's kind of what, you know, I got a lot of responses when I watched that. But I mean, that's kind of, once, once my thoughts are collected, that's really what I kind of settled into. is just this kind of sadness that this guy bought into a lie. The author of Hebrews knows that his audience is suffering. And that some of them are being tempted to turn away. But he won't stop telling them to endure in Christ. Because he knows that Jesus is faithful. And that Satan is a liar. So we must be constantly reminded that, that our faith ought not be in the here and the now. But in the future reality of Christ's kingdom. We're told right here to look back to those who were commended as faithful. And remember, it talks about them at the, at the last part of chapter 11. It talks about those uh, who endured horrible things. Some of them, yeah, they got to see amazing things and do amazing things. But verse 35 in chapter 11, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains 
and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So, what they were waiting on, and what we are waiting on, is not something that's going to happen here. I would love to have an easy life, and I would love to see God do amazing things with this church, even miraculous things. And I hope that those things happen. But what I hope in above that is in Jesus and in the promises that that he holds forward. Because those are what are really long-lasting, truthful, worth holding on to. So, he says then, since he knows this is your situation, I know that this is your situation, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So he's telling us at this point, we have to set aside these things which are going to hold us back. He's already talked about sins and apostasy and all these other things, and now he's just... He's just kind of saying, you're in a race, and it's a race of endurance. And what doesn't feel really heavy right now is going to weigh you down over the long haul. Because this is not something that's going to, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And the tiniest things can pull you down and cause you to suffer, to, to falter. So what he's saying is, lay aside every weight. So yeah, obviously, get rid of the sin that's in your life. And he says that separately, that we ought to get rid of the sin that clings so closely to us. But this weight, this weight, that might be things that just hinders your progress. It, it might not be a sin, it might just be something that's in your life that you're holding on to, that's really doing you no good and it's actually causing you to... To not run this race, to kind of meander, to kind of sit back and, t- and walk and, and take it easy and, and to want to just kind of stop. I think that there are a lot of things that could fit inside of this category, these weights that are inside of our lives that are taking up too much of our time and taking up too much of our energy. For everybody, it's going to look a little different. I would say for us, probably there's a lot of entertainment mixed in there. There's a lot of me time. There's a lot of things that we feel like, they're not necessarily sins. But if they become a priority for us, then, then they can become weights that, that prevent us from looking to what's really important. Because we start focusing about what's here. And we start saying, man, I need this me time. Like, I'm going to start scheduling three nights a week, me time, so that I can do what I want to do, so that I can be entertained, so that I can just take it easy. I don't speak like I'm speaking me against you, because this is me too. I know that there are weights in my life that, that I struggle with, that I don't want to have to give up. But he's saying, listen, this is eternally important 
This is a marathon. This isn't something that you just do one week. It's not that one baptism that's, that saved you. It's, it's enduring in Christ and putting your faith in Him. So put off those things. And we ought to put off those things. And he says in verse 2, Look to Jesus. We ought to put off those things looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this, I mean, he keeps saying this over and over. This is the theme of Hebrews. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You don't look to any of these other things. You don't look to getting rich. You don't look to saving your life if it comes down to it. You lay down your life and you say, All, it doesn't matter. All this is temporary because Jesus. Jesus is going to save. He's going to make things new. And His promises are the only things that are true. Everything else is a lie. And that's kind of what Tanner was talking about a few weeks ago when he said that, I had written this down at some point, so forgive me, um, that if you put your hope in, any, in an untruth, then really you don't have a hope, you just have blind optimism. Like that's kind of the idea. And, and that is absolutely true. That if we're looking to anything other than Jesus, then what we really have is blind optimism that something else is somehow going to fulfill what we need. Something else is somehow going to take care of us when it's not. Ultimately, it's a lie. My first reaction... to seeing that video and you'll forgive me for saying this my first reaction was anger at those people because it was just so horrible it was so unthinkable and my first reaction was every one of those bastards needs to die And again, after I sat back, collected my thoughts, there's one thing you have to remind yourself. Whenever you go and point out somebody else's sin, is that we were born in sin. And and what's true of them is true of us. And the death that they deserve is the death that we deserve. And I have no right to be able to sit and, and by my own righteousness, by my own self-righteousness, point at them and say, man, you deserve to die. It's true. But I'm not the one who can condemn. God condemns. And, and the only reason that we have anything to hold on to is because of what Jesus did for us. And the, the horrible evil that, that is in them is in us, or was in us. And the only hope that we have to escape the judgment that, yes, 
they do deserve, and yes, we do deserve, is Christ. And that's why the author of Hebrews keeps saying, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, because in the end, if you don't, you will get what you deserve. You will get what you deserve. And later on in, chapter, in this chapter, in chapter 12, he'll really hit this home again. Our hope is not here. It's with Christ. And wherever Christ is. So if he's telling us that we need to give up a few things and be a part of this church, his church, for the sake of his kingdom... What do we say? We say, whatever is there, whatever is behind you, is better than whatever is is where I am. So I'm going to follow you, knowing that everything here is impermanent. And this is just a tent where we're waiting for God's eternal city, where he's going to build something that never ends. So I hope... That when we look back at everybody in chapter 11, we see them as further proof that it's not about the blessings, it's not about the curses, it's not about the suffering or the pleasure that happens here. Whether good things happen to you or bad things happen to you, none of that is permanent. The only thing that's permanent is Jesus. So, I hope that this, that this lands on you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you would land on us and that you would cause us to see Jesus as infinitely valuable and as the truth. He declared himself to be the truth while also saying that Satan is a liar and that there is nothing but lies in him. So I pray that we would not look to what's in this world. We would not look to him who who has temporary authority here. I pray that we would look to Jesus and that we would remember the witness of these people these who are faithful. And that we, we would see that you had commended their faith. Not because of who they were or what happened to them or what they did, but, even, but just because of their rest in your promises. I pray that we would rest in your promises. And I pray that you would cause us to sing your truths and to love Jesus most of all. And in Jesus' name, amen.